0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, Grace family. I am going to guess that by now you have heard that in two weeks we will regather at our church to have services on site We will be meeting outside, so we should be able to see one another. No mask will be required outside, although if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, please do, no one is gonna think anything of it. In the future, if we have services inside, we will ask that everyone wear a mask, but for now, that's not an issue. So, I look forward to seeing you face-to-face, or at least face-to-mask, on June 7, in two weeks. It is ironic that on this first day, back to the church where the worship team and those who are leading prayer time and other elements of our service are gathering at church, I am required to be at home. It is indicative, though, of our times. In preparation for a full knee replacement on Tuesday, two days from now, May 26th, Allison was, was required three days ago on Thursday to get a COVID test uh, to make sure she does not have the virus before she comes in for the surgery. Uh, after the test, she was informed that she and everyone who lives with her, and that would be moi, of course, uh, would not be able to go out, but would indeed be asked to self isolate for that period of time. If you think this news was difficult for me, you can only imagine what it was like for Allison, who was to be with her students on Friday for the last day of school. It would have been the first time that she had seen them since mid-March, even though it would have been without teacher hugs and behind masks and social distancing. Nonetheless, It was a huge disappointment for her to not be at school, but those are the times we live in. What is it about this virus that has challenged the unity of like-minded believers at surprisingly high levels? I'm not sure, and while I don't sense any significant division in our church family, we should think about our responsibilities as we prepare to return to meeting at church in these unusual times. Today's text is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, and 12 through 16. Next Sunday morning, I will preach from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. 5 is kind of a, a connection verse, a bridge verse, if you will. And then we will hear about our plans going forward from a panel that will represent elders, deacons, and staff. If not the first Sunday in June, it will not be long before we return to John 17, one of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible. I remember several years ago, it just struck me, wow, this is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. In John 17, Jesus offers what we know as the high priestly prayer, and he does so in the presence of his disciples. It is after this public prayer public in the sense that there were at least 11 disciples there but it was after this prayer in front of his disciples that he moved further into the garden of gethsemane and began to pour out his heart to the father in agony of body soul and spirit here is a hint about the prayer in john 17. jesus emphasizes our unity as believers with the triune God. And on that basis, Jesus prays for unity among believers. I've been taken aback at how many connections there are between the truth that Jesus shared with his disciples in the farewell discourse and the encouragement to unity that Paul shared with the Philippians. As you know, The first three principles for interpreting Scripture are context, context, context. As such, I will give a little background for today's text, and then we will find much instruction for the unique challenges that we face in these modern times, written 2,000 years ago, but very apropos for today. Today's message will be mostly application, but it is important to first understand the setting. I would imagine that Philippians is a favorite New Testament book for many of you. How can you not like Philippians? Paul's letter to this Church was essentially a thank you letter from a missionary to a supporting church in which the missionary reports reports events that are happening in his life and he makes biblical connections to his circumstances even as he addresses the Philippians' issues. We know that there was a strong commitment to the pure gospel at Philippi Church. The congregation was filled with generous souls to the point that Paul said no one ministered to his needs like they did, both his material needs and his spiritual needs. Paul's repeated references to joy indicate that at least some in Philippi were able to distinguish between happiness and joy, and that's really not an easy thing to do when you think about it, although we've talked about it a lot in the last few weeks. There were several other indications that this was a mature group of men and believers who followed Jesus. Almost all the boxes were checked for this church. But there was a concern. Two prominent women, Yodia and Syntyche, were at odds with one another. And in his thank you letter, the Apostle Paul gently encouraged the two sisters to get along for the sake of unity. He does that very directly in Philippians 4, although again, he's entreating them, he's begging them, pleading them with them to get along. But in Philippians 2, clearly he has the struggle that is evident in the church in mind as he writes. So, we are in the second chapter of Philippians. The call is for humility, and the best reason for our humility will be covered next week in verses 5 through 11, and then the sermon uh, will conclude with a panel that will discuss our return to on-site services. I want to give you the three points of application up front today, and they are, one, humility cannot exist if you think first About yourself. Two, obedience is required, but it is God who sanctifies us. Three, our calling is to be lights in a dark world, and we shine brightest when we love one another according to God's design. So, all of these thoughts from Philippians 2 1 through 5, and then verses 12 through 16. We will think first about humility cannot exist if you think first about yourself. Augustine of Hippo, who you may know as Augustine, Saint Augustine, was asked what were the key principles of the Christian life. His response was much like our understanding of biblical interpretation. His response to the key question of the key principles of the Christian life were, first, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. Does that surprise you that Augustine would say that? You might have expected him to say faithfulness or faithfulness to the God of the Word as he has revealed himself to us. Or you might have gone, you might have gone, if you were asked that question, with a a contemporary response such as, oh, I think the key to the Christian life is quiet time, prayer, fellowship, church attendance, etc. But Augustine, probably the most influential theologian in all church history outside of the apostles, said that the key principles of the Christian life are humility Humility, humility. But humility is an elusive thing, isn't it? As Tim Keller has said, the moment you think you've got humility, you've lost it. When you saw and heard the first point, you might have thought, hmm, making the case by use of a negative. Here's the point again. Humility cannot exist if you first think about yourself or if you think first about yourself. It is an either-or, isn't it? Either you put aside me first, or you refuse to humble yourself before the Lord and put others ahead of yourself, as Jesus did. With your Bibles open, I want to read Philippians 2, verses 1-2. to So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I've studied and preached this text numerous times through the years, but I'm not sure I've ever fully grasped The significance of the two little words in verse 1 in connection with the whole. In Christ. While we might ask, do you think he is a Christian? The Apostle Paul might have asked, do you think she is in Christ? That's the way he talked about those who were followers of Christ. He didn't call them Christians. He said they were in Christ or they were not in Christ. In verses 1 and 2, Paul is asking essentially, does being in Christ mean to you what it should mean? If so, then you will not only fulfill my joy and all the other aspects that he talked about as well, the, the, the participation in the Spirit and having affection and sympathy, as believers should have, but he said, you will complete my joy, which means we will also please the Lord when we love one another and worship the Lord in harmony with other believers. So it's a simple thing, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, no, it's not that simple. We believe the gospel, but living as if we believe the gospel. Is a challenge to all believers. We know that the truths of Scripture are timeless, which is why sometimes we are told of a general problem, but we're not given the specifics. We do not know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but we do know that God's grace is sufficient for us in all difficulties. We do not know what the cause of strife is, between Yodia and Syntyche and Philippi was, but we do know that Jesus, being fully divine, did not hold tight to the privileges of deity, but humbled himself to become one of us, obedient to death, even death on the cross. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And it is Jesus Humility that challenges us this day. If we were told what the issue between Yodia and Sintike were, if we were told what the issues were, then we would almost certainly say, well, anybody can see that Yodia is right. Sintike needs to yield. Or we might back Sintike. What shall we do since we don't know what the reason was for the conflict? We must apply verses 3 and 4 to ourselves, not others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? When we regather in church in two weeks, we will come with different ideas about how the government has handled this health crisis. We're going to think differently about the national government, federal government, than we do the the local and state government. Um, But We are going to come understanding that this health crisis has now become an economic crisis and could become a very serious economic crisis. Look, our nation was already in crisis politically and socially long before the coronavirus. But now the divide has widened, although there are many different coalitions now. You weren't necessarily, you're not necessarily in the same group you used to be. We're going to return to church with different ideas, but no matter what your position, I would encourage you not to measure your preferences with the latest article that you might have read, but to gauge your responsibility by Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do not look on what seems right and sensible to you, but care more about your brother's interests and your sister's concerns than you care about making your point or having your way, even if you think it's best for the whole body. If you think this is easy for me, it is not. I I, I do not want anyone to be offended. I don't want anyone to be at odds with anyone else. I want us to all get along. My heart is the same as the Apostle Paul's, at least in this area anyway. Let us put aside our own interest and care more about the other person than we do ourselves. There are many questions, there are many decisions that must be made when strong and opposite opinions are swirling all around us. But this time of confusion, brothers and sisters, will pass. Will we pass this time of confusion unscathed? I don't know. It's important that we do so as much as possible. We will only come out of this unified if we follow Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which directly precedes verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We will examine this bridge verse a lot more carefully next week, but suffice it to say for the moment that verses 5 through 8 speak of Christ's humility, and they are given as a model for us. There can be no true unity in Christ without humility. And we do not know if humility is genuine until it is tested. Furthermore, we may be humble one moment and not the next. So this is a good time for us to move back Toward humility. It's a good test, would you agree? The second point. Obedience is required of all believers, but it is God who sanctifies us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I had written an extensive paragraph to introduce this topic that is more difficult than you might think it is, sanctification. But I had to delete it because I was confusing myself and I'm thinking if I'm confused, how confused will you be? Here is a simple version of what I had written. If obedience is required for my spiritual growth, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in sanctification? What is his role? What is my role? Is it possible for me to obey without the Spirit being at work in my life? Maybe the best response to the puzzle of sanctification is to affirm that my obedience is required as a follower of Christ, but it is God who sanctifies me. That's why we can never be proud of our spiritual accomplishments. We are to obey in the same manner as Jesus obeyed, in humility. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. On that basis, verses 12 and 13 were written to the members of a wonderful congregation who were having a bit of trouble getting along. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. There are several points of interest here. It was easy to obey God and to get along with one another. In the early days of their belief, when Paul was on site and the believers were just loving one another, you remember what it was like if you were saved as an adult or if you turned your life over to the Lord. Although you had grown up believing the gospel, there was a time where you committed to the Lord. It just all seemed easy. Now, Paul was saying, I'm gone. And really... Going to prove your mettle by obeying the Lord in this time in my absence. It's even more important that you obey now that I'm gone. Obedience and humility are sometimes easy, sometimes not. They are required in all circumstances. Paul says we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is serious business. But wait a minute. Does our salvation depend upon our obedience? Obedience. Do we work for our salvation? No. We believe, according to Paul's writings in other places, in the whole truth of the gospel in the New Testament, documents. We believe that that salvation, as we're told in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, comes by grace through faith, not by our good works so that we should boast. So why is Paul commanding these believers to work out their own salvation? Well, again, he was not saying that they should work for their salvation, but he was encouraging them to respond to what was already theirs. In Christ, Does this seem like a theme lately? We must claim and live according to what is already ours. It's like owning a home and never going inside because we think, Oh, I'm just not good enough to... No, it's yours. You are in Christ. You own it. Live accordingly. We can only be saved by grace not by works furthermore paul said in philippians 3 12 that he had not achieved perfection nor by implication would he ever think that he would achieve achieve perfection it is absurd though to say that one need not work at this life that we enjoy in christ We are called to obey not only the Ten Commandments, but the standard to which Jesus called us, which includes attitudes as well as actions. And in the context of the whole, genuine humility is the mark of a true believer. Well, one's faith in Christ, of course, what one believes. But if we're looking in a church of believers, we're going to say that genuine humility is the mark of a true believer, just like the Beatitudes. I'm surprised at how often I hear one of these two verses quoted without the other. (laughs) Frankly, I hear verse 12 without verse 13 more than the other way around. Both are necessary, though. The truth in both verses are necessary for spiritual growth. We obey God. He does the work of changing us. When we think it is impossible for us to obey in an area of great struggle or when we fail to see how being humble in a particular situation will benefit the body because surely we're right about what needs to be done, then we must rely on the work of God in our lives. He has called us to a difficult life. Humility is enormously difficult, but there is much joy when we obey. But obedience is my problem. I hear you. Take heart. Not only has God willed for you to live as Jesus lived, he has given you the power to do so. In fact, he will be the one doing it. It's not up to you, it's up to him. But you do have to trust and obey in that order. Trust allows us to be humble. When we trust God, we don't always have to be right. We don't have to be the one to carry the day. We don't have to correct someone's misperception of us. Sometimes we should, but sometimes we should just let it go. We're trusting the Lord with our lives, with our souls. But not only must we trust, we must pursue God's design for his people to shine as lights in a dark world. And we do that through obedience. And all of this is the focus of our last point. Our calling is to be lights in a dark world. And we shine brightest when we love one another according to, to God's design. The more you read the Bible, the more you realize that much of what we are called to obey, most of the commands in Scripture are given to us for the good of the body, for the good of God's covenant people, rather than for the good of the world. But make no mistake, we are on mission to take the good news of the people to the world, of the good news of the gospel to the the people of the world. And my goodness, we would not have been saved if someone had not been on mission to take the gospel to us. You will recall in John 13 that Jesus said that people would know his disciples by their love for one another. In other words, the world is watching us. And it is important that we present a unified front As we love one another according to God's design. Paul says essentially the same thing that Jesus said back in the farewell discourse here in verses 14 to 16, which we will read in a few moments. We're to be different from the world, but we already know that, right? Of course I should be humble, but maybe the issue that is right in front of me is an exception. Well, here are some questions to ask about your particular position. Does it involve false doctrine? Does it involve ungodly behavior? Be careful how you answer that. Then if not, this issue is not an exception. We have a higher calling than To understand and work out the issues of the day which does not mean that we should forget that we live in 21st century America we do live in this time but no matter when we are alive since the time of Christ believers live in a crooked and twisted generation (laughs) but wait a minute Everyone in our day thinks that we live in a crooked and twisted generation. Only it is the other side that is crooked and twisted. That's right. Most everyone has a high standard of how the other 7.7 billion plus people in the world should live. And if they don't live according to the way that I think they should live, then they are just... Wrong, and in fact, they could become dangerous if they keep thinking the way that they think now. Everything in our day is moral, which means that everyone lives with a religious fervor. When you look below the surface, though, it is hard to distinguish one side from the other. It should be, on the other hand, easy to identify God's covenant people. We're called to an entirely different life than we see on social media and in the news. We're given the blueprint for this life in Scripture, but if the Word is not our foundation, then we are going to look just like the world, divisions and all. And and I can I can tell you that many of us can make the Word say whatever we want it to say. And please, let me assure you, I am not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. These are not easy words. I want us to close where we began. The words we have read today in Philippians, let me remind you, were not written to a church that was succumbing to the false gospel like the Galatians were. This letter was not penned to address wicked behavior like 1 Corinthians was. It was not written to establish and explain doctrine in detail like Romans was. Philippians 2 5 through 11, our text for next week, is akin to prime meat. In the scripture and it can only be digested by the most mature believers the church at philippi though was in danger of dulling the light of god's grace to sinners a light that should shine brightest in a mature body of believers what could lead to such unnecessary failure Disunity caused by pride and by a failure to consider others' needs as more important than one's own needs. The Word gives us our instruction, and it does so by pointing us to Christ. Hear now the conclusion of Paul's thoughts about unity through humility in Philippians 2, 14-16. Good words for us all. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the life that we have in Christ. And no matter what happens in this world, we yield ourselves to you, grateful that you have called us into the family of God For those who don't know Jesus, Lord, may they see their need to repent of their sins and to put their faith in what Jesus did on the cross, being the sacrifice for our sins as the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of those who believe. As a body of believers, may we yield ourselves completely to you May we, in humility, love one another and to think more about others' interests than we do ourselves. May we not be selfish. May we not seek the control. May we yield in humility. And together, may we shine as lights in a dark world. That's our calling. That is our privilege. And we give thanks for all this in Jesus' name.